Hello, and welcome to the Safety Gambit podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Polis. On this podcast, we explore the risks we take as humans and the culture of safety we create at home and at work as a result. The Safety Gambit invites you to take a more curious and holistic approach to transforming the safety culture in your life, including bringing awareness to the impact of our safety decisions, the safety of our workplaces, the emotional and physical safety of our spaces, and the overall philosophy of safety. I am so glad you are back with me on the podcast, and I am really just going to talk about something today that keeps coming up, and I have a lot of questions, and I'd actually planned to talk about something else, but this topic kept coming into my mind, and I want to try to tie it into how it relates to the risks that we take in our own lives and the warning signs that we potentially ignore. And maybe you have a lot of questions as well, or maybe it was just a news story that passed in your feed without much consideration. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about the Ocean Gate Titan submersible tragedy. By now, it already seems like old news to most, but what can we learn from this tragedy? We know that five what sound like incredible people have lost their lives, I'm going to be the first one to admit I would never do it. This really comes down to risk tolerance and your motivation for wanting to try such an extreme sport. And that's how I view underwater expedition like this. I view it as an extreme sport. And it seems like those who went on this um, adventure previously uh, viewed it that way as well. Do you think that there's anything in your life that would be of comparable risk? Let's break down a few things and then revisit that question. Sure, it might not be as extreme as going to the depths of the ocean, but there could be something that could be equivalent on your own risk tolerance scale. So there are some inherent risks when exploring the deep sea ocean in in a submersible. So let's talk a little bit about that. So the first one is pressure and depth. So the Titanic lies at a depth of 12,500 feet or 3,800 meters, which creates an extreme environment of high pressure. So this submersible needs to be specially designed and equipped to withstand the pressures without compromising the safety of the passengers inside. The Ocean Gate was designed using carbon fiber and titanium domes on each end. According to the designer, Stockton Rush, who is an aerospace engineer, the carbon fiber is designed to withstand the deep ocean pressures. Within this submersible, there's actually one single porthole, and the hatch where people go in and out is only accessible from the outside of the vessel. So there's no other way out. And that is where I start to freak out. Another inherent risk of going into a submersible would be decompression sickness. And this is ascending too quickly from the great depths and can lead to decompression sickness, which is also known as the bends. And this occurs when nitrogen bubbles form in the body due to rapid decrease in pressure. Proper decompression procedures are crucial uh, to avoid this potentially life-threatening condition. The next thing that we need to consider is the limited oxygen supply. So submersibles have a limited oxygen supply, which requires careful planning, monitoring to ensure that there's enough oxygen for the duration of the dive. And that's getting down there, exploring around and coming back. Emergency situations may require swift action to maintain a safe, safe breathing environment. 
The Titan had apparently 96 hours of backup oxygen supply, but that again really depends on the breathing rate of the passengers. And according to one resource, the oxygen supply was actually never tested. So consider that before getting into your next submersible. A couple other inherent risks to consider would be technical failures. As any complex piece of machinery, technical failures can occur in submersibles. Equipment malfunctions, power failure, communication breakdowns can all pose risks and potentially jeopardize the safety of those inside the submersible. Apparently, there were times when the Ocean Gate submersible would lose communication with the ship, the top ship, and it would come back a little bit later, an hour or so later. But did anybody actually dig into why there are these communication breakdowns? Again, when you are dependent on that top ship to tell you where to go, once you lose communication, you've got to feel really lost in the big, big deep sea ocean. One more inherent risk to consider would be navigation and collision hazards. Navigating in deep sea environments with limited visibility can be quite challenging, I can only imagine. The risk of colliding with the wreck or other submerged objects that might be present, and it requires skilled operators and advanced sonar systems to avoid such hazards. While there was no GPS on the submersible, there were a couple computer touchscreens that the pilot uses for lights, air, and the measurements of the depth, as well as communicating back with that top ship. Some would compare the deep sea exploration similar to bungee jumping or skydiving or helicopter skiing. I just don't think I have these extreme sport genes in my body. But those that do go into it knowing it is highly risky. But in the end, rewarding, if you live to tell about it. Let's look at some statistics. Skydiving is a dangerous sport, but maybe not as dangerous as you would imagine if we look at the statistics. How many people die from skydiving? According to the United States Parachute Association, there were just 0.28 fatalities per 100,000 jumps in 2021. In other words, there was roughly one fatality for every four 100,000 jumps that took place in the previous year, or 10 fatalities total out of the year's 3.57 million jumps. Skydiving is totally safe, would you say? I don't think so. There are definitely risks, but when you look at the statistics, it's pretty low. For a catastrophic failure, that is. Perhaps this is what those who went on the mission of the submersible thought. What about traveling in trains or flying in airplanes? Compared to other major forms of transportation, with a 0.04 deaths per 100 million miles traveled, train travel is much more dangerous than airplanes at a 0.01 deaths per 100 million miles. However, air travel is only as safe as the operator, the equipment, and the training procedures that underlie the flight itself. Without stringent aviation safety training and controls, air travel would be unsafe for private and commercial passengers. I think there's some debate that private aircraft still might not be as safe as commercial aircraft. There were warning signs for the submersible. There were more incomplete missions than complete missions. This submersible actually only made it to the Titanic twice before the tragic dive on June 18th. Think about the risks 
the company took building the submersible. The experimental nature of the materials, the game controller running the thing, the lack of proven communication methods, to name a few. It doesn't seem there were safety inspections completed after each dive to check the integrity of the vessel. One report stated that the porthole actually had 18 bolts, but only 17 were actually installed. And why, you ask? Because it didn't matter if the 18th one was in there. That's what they were told. A few have reportedly backed out of this trip due to safety concerns. Chris Brown, who signed up in 2017 only to ask for his deposit back in 2018, said there seemed to be a lot of safety risks that were outside of his control. There were a father and son who backed out of this June 18th trip weeks before over safety concerns, stating too many red flags. People have different risk appetites. In 2018, a professional trade group warned OceanGate's experimental approach to the design of the Titan could lead to potentially catastrophic outcomes and was told the vessel was not fit to go on this mission. That same year, an employee of OceanGate raised safety concerns about the Titan's design and the company's protocol for testing the hull's reliability. That employee, David Lockridge, was fired by OceanGate after airing his complaints to OSHA. Lockridge said he disagreed with with his employer about the best way to test the safety of the sub and that he objected to OceanGate's decision to perform dives without non-destructive testing to prove its integrity. I found one bit of research that suggested Stockton Rush thought safety regulations hindered innovation. I promise you I have clients that probably think the same thing, especially when they're in this creative mode. Safety can get in the way or so they think. This was an experimental vessel and had not gone through any certification to go to the depths that it had planned. Normally, these vessels would have would have a robust integrated control and redundancy and backup system, a series of controls. This vessel had to be told where to go by the top ship above, and it moved with a game controller. The vessel was not tethered to the top ship. There was no black box similar to what we would find in an aircraft if something happened, and reportedly very lax procedures and operations. In the past, if communication was lost, as I mentioned before, it would come back up. But did anybody investigate why that happened and make steps to improve it and make it better for the next trip? Or was it just accepted since communication was reestablished and no one was hurt? You did have to sign a liability waiver to go on this deep sea adventure. The liability waiver describes the vessel as experimental and acknowledged a risk of injury or death. However, from what I understand, this is similar to other extreme sports. The difference might be that this company didn't communicate the risks from what's out there in the news. Now compare this to assessing the risks in your own life or at your workplace. When you identify small safety issues or do something that makes you take a pause, do you try to mitigate the risks right away or do you roll the dice and wait for a bigger, more noticeable indicator or warning sign? Think about near misses you may have had in the last week. An example for me is I cut my finger while chopping green beans on Sunday. It seems super silly, but I did it again in the same spot two days later. I know why I cut my finger. It's my technique of chopping, literally putting my finger in the way of the knife and going too fast, trying to be top chef over here when I chop my finger off. I literally almost chopped my finger off twice. Will I slow down the next time? Perhaps. 
But was the injury great enough for me to really change my behavior? To be honest, probably not. I honestly like the sound of chopping really fast, even if that means shedding a little bit of blood. Obviously, the injury was not great enough for me to change my behavior. Consider the injury pyramid or the accident triangle, also known as Heinrich's triangle, and this is the theory of industrial accident prevention. It shows the relationship between serious accidents, minor accidents, and near misses. The idea proposes that if the number of minor accidents is reduced, then there will be a corresponding fall in the number of serious accidents. Why does this matter? When there are warning signs or near misses, if they are not mitigated, inevitably minor accidents or major accidents will lead to a more catastrophic failure. If after those warnings, risk mitigations are still not addressed, then we will see a fatality. In safety, we say, if it's not documented, it never happened. But even if we do document it, but do nothing about the information, are we really preventing a more severe incident? Was anything documented for this Ocean Gate Titan? Was it reviewed? Were there any mitigations from previous dives of the submersible? And if not, why? The CEO of Ocean Gate was willing to take a risk for the gain of extreme adventure for not only himself, but all the other passengers. And the cost of that risk was the ultimate cost of human life. Did those passengers trust that the company had their best interest at heart? That the company did all they could to make sure the vessel was safe? Did he think the unthinkable wouldn't ever happen to them? Airplanes are proven, people will say. Sure, but this is still very dependent on every single person doing their job correctly each and every time. That's from building the aircraft to inspecting it, to flying it, to air traffic control. So take it back to your environment. Think about your own work environment. Are the hazards in your workplace communicated to you? Are you aware of the risks that are involved in doing your job? Who depends on you to do your job perfectly each and every day? I think regardless of what your job is, somebody is depending on you to show up and be prepared as prepared as possible. Does the company you work for value safety the same way you do? Is there transparency in safety protocols? As an employee, are you doing all you can to stay safe at your workplace? Where do you take safety seriously? Where do you cut corners? What could be the cost of cutting those corners? Could it be the ultimate cost as it was for OceanGate? Are you making a decision to cut a corner that could not only impact you, but would impact others in your vehicle, in your home, in your workplace? Sometimes as humans, we focus on the immediate reward and we forget or neglect to consider the what ifs. And when we do consider the what ifs, what makes you actually change the course of behavior to maybe a safer option? I'll leave you with this, hopefully some thought-provoking questions today. Will you see this Ocean Gate tragedy as a wake-up call for you? Or is it too extreme that you can't relate? I challenge you to consider the people, places, and things that you do in and outside of the workplace. Where are you taking the greatest risks? Could these risks impact others? And are you okay with that? 
Are you okay taking a risk that could cost the ultimate cost of human life? Who depends on you to do your job? Thank you so much for listening. Follow me on Instagram at the safety gambit or lindsay-polis to continue this conversation. I truly want to hear where you're taking risks and your thoughts on this. You can always email me too. Please rate and review the show. But the best way to show some safety gambit love is to share this show with all of your friends. Please continue to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Have a great day.